Okay, so yes, just to pick up on and, and um, add a bit to something Catherine said, I think in the opening um, talk. Um, <clears throat> there's there's a lot of material here, um, and of necessity, actually, then some some of what we put out we will just touch on and mention and some we will elaborate more and that's just the nature of the limits of time etc and just not wanting to just talk all day long at you um so that connects a little bit to what Catherine said anyway in the opening talk which is can can you listen in a in a in a proactive way well, there's a way of listening which is kind of just just kind of sit back and let things come in or drift through or, you know, whatever, which is kind of a, a lovely style sometimes. But because, uh, well, for many different reasons, it, it, it would be good to listen in more like that piece there. I don't understand it, but I'm, I'll bookmark it for later <clears throat> and then I'll chase it up after the retreat or I'll ask questions or whatever. So that you're listening with a kind of, uh, self-reflective critical attitude to what what are the pieces that i um that i personally am needing or or missing or not quite getting or that i can shelve for later and and all that does that yeah <clears throat> okay so just to uh i want to pick up where i uh finished early the other morning and um and go through that material with you and then add a bit more um and just to say so in terms of meditation instructions at this point um they're fairly open in the sense of we've touched we we spent the first day emphasizing the uh intention for samadhi for kind of gathering a sense of harmonization and well-being just leaning towards that working. So that's always an option. That's always a gear you can go into. Right now, I'm, I'm doing that. We also talked about the energy body as a way of just working uh, or, or opening a variety of ways to work skillfully and carefully and and uh, uh, with compassion with what's going on emotionally, whether it's lovely or, or difficult. So that too is a gear, is an option. You know, now, now it feels time to, to do that or with what's going on. And then we started to introduce the idea of images and we we're saying intrapsychic for now, more, more, you know, inside, so to speak. Um, so there's, there's, there's those three options, uh, just those. And then there's just going into sort of basic mindfulness or meta practice if you see fit. So it's quite open. There's no order here. It's not like first I do this and then I do that and then I do, um, it's, it, you can be very flexible with all of this. Um, but consider it like an open buffet. And if you want your dessert before your mains, it's completely fine. Um, you can't be practicing with an image or images all day long and not doing anything else. It's, it's, it's not in balance. It won't be helpful. Um, so you want to be kind of gliding in and out as, as in response to what's going on between these different kinds of practices. Being just with the, uh, the emotions and caring for them the, in the energy body, the samadhi, working with image, maybe some other practice that you already know that seems helpful right now. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and then just to reiterate, we uh, we're introducing the possibility of moving, uh, not not just walking up and down, or actually mo- moving the body in here or or outside. So the walking period is now called a moving period. Okay? So you can move um, in relation to an, to an image, etc., if you, uh, or, or to energies, etc. Primarily an image, if, if that feels helpful for you. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit about just um, some practice things. Um, doubt. Okay. Uh, really, really common. Okay, it's common anyway, of course, on the path. You know that. It's one of the hindrances. But in relation to this kind of thing, it's extremely common. There's different kinds of doubt and different aspects we can be doubting. But um, very often, a couple of moments after an image might arise, the first thing that arises afterwards is doubt. And it's often something like, 
that's probably not significant or it's not very interesting or um you know it's not as bizarre and weird as i hear uh, other people say or actually it's it's a bit too weird um or very common i made that up that's just my ego i made that happen um or is just a random daydream or whatever so this these couple of moments of doubt are really really common expect them it's part it's just part that they'll 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 come up <clears throat> um but so often despite that <clears throat> mental reaction of doubt so often it's still worth gently preserving with a kind of uh yes gentle attention to what's just arisen you can be aware of the doubt whatever you don't have to buy into it because if if you stick with it, what you will often notice is that the uh, what what seemed insignificant or just a kind of ego projection or whatever, actually, if I tune to it, if I work with the energy body, etc., it does start to gain um, imaginal flesh and richness and depth and, and beauty and become soul making. Um, it it uh, what seemed is insignificant is actually potentially fertile and important. So let the judge be not that moment of mental doubt or those moments of mental doubt, but let it be the sense. Stay with something, play with the different things that we'll describe in terms of the way of relating to images, and let the sense of soul-making be your judge of whether something is worth sticking with or not. Um, so judge by the fruit, not by the initial idea of how did, I, how did this image arise. Um, whether an image uh, is fruitful depends on the relationship with it. So it could be in some of the examples I think I gave. You know, was, mind was daydreaming, and I also started daydreaming some music or whatever. It wasn't particularly in the first instance; didn't seem that amazing, but. Just, just nuancing the relationship with it, something becomes more imaginal. It's in the relationship. And then related to that, you know, there's, I, th- I think we don't want any kind of dogma or rules necessarily, but, um, to prioritize a kind of sensitivity, uh, to the, uh, sense of soul making, to, to trust that in the moment. Um, with with an image, it may be that that comes through one very specific aspect of the image, or it may be in the whole kind of gestalt of it. Um, but this will be the most fruitful thing. This is this is what my nose is following. This is the thread, the sense of soul making that will bring things alive, that will be most fruitful. It may, as I said, uh, as we both said now, it may include and even come through arise from dukkha yeah and so that's that's also part of um just just being aware of that and again i've I've probably said this but uh, not to prioritize and the implications are not to prioritize how clear is this image the the form so we're not doing visualization meditation or exercises um not the the clarity of form so much is important. Occasionally it might be, because that, that clarity of form might actually help the soul-making. But the sense of soul-making, which is often a more nebulous, uh, hard-to-pin-down kind of quality, but you, you can recognize, you get better and better at recognizing when that, when that whole soul-making dynamic is going on, when there's soulfulness. Implicit in this, and I'll come back to this, um, hopefully this morning, um, very easily we can relate to an image uh, or and say, what is the guidance for me in my life here? What's it telling me to do? Maybe I have a, a job choice or a, or a path. Should I go to India? Should I? Wh- whatever it is. And we want the image to come as a guide. You should do this. Uh, so, so clear. And um, sometimes that happens. Or sometimes we get encouragement or, or whatever from an image. But again, it's about intention. If I prioritize this, something closes down. It's not that it doesn't happen sometimes. So, um, can I not have my, my primary intention in relation to this image be, guide me. 
Yeah, or what is the guidance for me? Um, rather, tuning into and um, staying with what gives the most soul-making sense, what, what gives the most soulfulness. And, and in a way, that's a kind of an experiment. So I see, well, we'll, we'll elaborate on it, uh, starting this morning, in fact. Um, but see, um, see, find out for yourself what kinds of attitudes, relationships, concepts, um, stances, um, support the soul making to open and what tend to close them down. Be your own researcher. We will we will certainly put uh, some teachings out about that. But this is this is a, this is a much more interesting question. And all meditation is like this. Right now, what's helpful? And the question is for each practice, what does helpful mean? So in this practice, it means what's most soul making? There's just a gentle sort of responsive, artful responsiveness to what's going on. I'm kind of I'm sailing this boat in. In, in response to the different currents and winds that are around. And it can, it can all be very, very beautiful, very subtle in the relational field between, uh, let's say, self and image, let's say that. So that it's um, better to focus on qualities uh, of, of the beauty, the kind of beauty that an image seems to have for you in the moment, or the, the so, and it may be very vague, and Catherine talked about it last night, the sense of divinity that seems to inhere in this image, or the sense of grace, or mystery, or or my sense of humility in relationship to it. All this can be very, very subtle, but these are all part of what it means for something to be soul-making, all these qualities. Focusing on that will be much more helpful for the whole process as, as we are outlining it and, and what it opens up to than looking for guidance or trying to get visually clear or, or whatever. Okay. All right. Now, in a way I've said a little bit already, but um, started to say the other morning and, and implied a little bit in what I've already said is... This question, we use this word imagine, a lot of people use it, these, not a lot, but, but quite a few people and, and different schools and things use it this way. And what does it mean? Or what does it mean as, as we are using it here and we want to kind of convey and open up? It's actually, it's quite, there's quite a lot involved in it. It's a rich concept. It's not like a simple thing. It's, it's rich and it's, uh, almost paradoxical and, um, nebulous in some areas by, uh, by necessity, okay? So n- necessarily uh, partly nebulous concept. Usually we like things that are really clear. On, off, black, white, is it this or is it that? Um, and this whole, this whole, the art of this is not, is, is we have to be okay with the kind of nebulousness and elasticity of definitions and descriptions and concepts and all that. So, Having said that, we could, uh, and we have in other situations, um, what does it mean for something to be imaginal? What does that mean? What is an image? And actually delineate or, or point to a whole cluster of qualities or characteristics or attitudes or perceptions that are there that um, kind of constitute what it means for something to be imaginal. And so we can call that the constellation of the imaginal or the lattice of the imaginal or something, all these qualities. Some of them, uh, we're just mentioning this. Some, some of them we're just going to kind of throw them out and list them. And some on this retreat and some will kind of go into a little bit more detail. But the idea is that, uh, so again, this is not such a black and white thing. It's more like a spectrum. So if we go back to me asking you to imagine uh, the, the toilet that you're most familiar with, and there's imagination involved in whatever way, maybe visual or some sense of that toilet, um, but it, it is possible that that could be imaginal with all, with all the beauty and divinity and, and everything. <laughs> you spend a lot of time like I do on that place. <laughs> anyway, um, so, but... Um, but probably not. 
it's it's a use of the imagination. It's an image in a certain sense of the word, but it's probably not in this fully fleshed out, soulful, multi-dimensional way. It's probably not imaginal. So again, rather than saying on off, have I got it? Have I not? Do I understand what they're talking about? Do I not? I do, I think everyone else has, but I haven't. I'm I'm, I'm not getting. Uh, my experience can't be. Let's just think of it more as a spectrum, as a direction. And as more of these qualities that we'll uh, list, as more of them get lit up, the whole thing we could say becomes more imaginable, more fully imaginable. Let's say. So there's no point in, in this kind of spectrum that we can say, you got it, you haven't got it. You can say to yourself, but we're thinking about the kind of the possible fullness and richness of it. Does this make sense as, as an idea? Yeah. So I uh, just watch the mind that gets into black and white thinking, and then particularly, uh, you know, the ego and the self puts itself in relation to that black and white thinking, usually in the negative, like I'm really not getting it. Okay, so it's a direction. It's a it's a aspiration. It's a it's a, a possibility of fullness of, ri- of further riches of further beauties. Yeah, and we can talk about what what it means to be more fully imaginal in the way that we are using it in these teachings. So why why um, why talk about this constellation or lattice or these elements? Um, two reasons. One is in order to get clearer, because I said this is it's a it's a subtle, uh, rich, complex concept in in our teaching. What it means for something to be imagined. It's not like you can just go boom. It means that. And people often ask me, "Can you just some?" <laughs> well, maybe. I, um, <laughs> So, but partly we want, we, we would like you to, to get clearer, to, to form a bit of a, 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 to kind of get more and more internalize this almost like intuitive gut sense of, oh yeah, that. Now, something illuminates and, and you get a sense of the richness. So partly just for the sake of clarity, what are we talking about? What kind of possibilities of soul and psyche and consciousness? What kind of experiences are we talking about? What direction? What realm? So that's one reason for the sake of, of, increasing clarity and understanding. And the second reason is that it turns out that this uh, kind of knowing about this this uh, constellation of different elements of the imaginal, it turns out that that's actually really helpful in practice. So sometimes, for instance, um, something arises, that toilet or, or whatever, or, or just a daydream or something, and it's an image, and it's there, but it's not particularly imaginal. It's not particularly rich and uh, un- un- unfathomable or exhaustible, mysterious, or all, all these other qualities. And one of the things that's possible is there are, there are elements, actually, let's say, uh, not immediately sensible in the imaginal experience, in, in the image experience in that moment, that my noticing of them illuminates them. It draws them out. So, for instance, and I didn't plan to talk about this one, but it's the one that's coming to my head right now. Um, there's often love between... Uh, it, love is one of these elements. It's characteristic of what we call the constellation of the imaginal. Love both ways. I somehow love that image. I might be a little suspicious of it. I might be scared of it in some way. I might be questioning, what does this mean? But there's somehow some love there. And there's somehow some love of the image for me. This image loves me. And the again, a lot of this work is is about expanding ranges. So very often I say love, and we tend to have quite a narrow um, idea of what that looks like or what constitutes love. Sometimes with an image, the kind of love is not the kind of love that we, we're used to. So something is happening here also to open up our sense of what love can mean and can look like. But the noticing of the love, I, I haven't noticed it at first. And, and so I, I just look and I begin to see, oh yeah, there's a kind of love here. I can feel that. Wow. I, I, it might be subtle at first. My noticing of it, draws it out in the attention. It illuminates that um, that uh, star in the galaxy or that star in the constellation of what 
imaginal means. And the illumination of that quality, so this could have, could have picked anyone, I just talked about that. The illumination of that quality starts to illuminate other, other things. So the whole thing starts to come alive, get illuminated, okay? So, we're not just saying all this for the sake of clarity, we're saying all this part of the art, uh, and the subtlety of, of being able to support something to open up, uh, in soulfulness and soul making. Sometimes also, I put in, you can deliberately introduce one of these elements. So, um, uh, well, I'll come back to that. But, but, so, so not just noticing it will amplify it and draw it out, illuminate it, but actually I see, oh, let me deliberately introduce one of these things. And that, that again ignites the whole, the whole, uh, or potentially ignites all, the whole lattice. There's not an order through these. So we could list them. Um, um, for a few things about, whoops, about this, um, this whole concept of, of this constellation or lattice or whatever we want to call it is that it's not an exhaustive list. So if I go through it, um, you could say, well, what about such and such? Um, it's not intended to be exhaustive. It's just, uh, to, to begin to open something up. We could have sliced up the elements slightly differently. So in other words, some of them overlap with each other. Some of them kind of pull in different directions. They seem a bit uh, in, a, in a kind of tension of, con- of some contradiction between each other. Um, and, and there's not an order here. So it's not like first this one, and then, then number two ignites, and then number three ignites. It's all a, a web of mutually dependent um, potential illumination. Uh, so I said some, some we're just going to list and mention, and some... Uh, others will will elaborate on just because of time on this retreat. Um, and again, if if this sounds interesting to you, or if you, uh, you know, some of you either have already or will fall in love with this whole thing. You'll you'll fall in love with this soul making business. And um, and if that's the case, then then chase it up. You know, a lot this material already out there on the web, etc. Ask um, one of us, talk with each other, etc. Learn from each other, um, but but again, going back to that proactive listening possibility, and some of you won't, and that's that's fine. You know, it's just, it's not quite for me. Um, but if if you want more, then then yeah, take that into your own hands a little bit. Ask, uh, seek out. So um, I don't know whether to go through the list now. What? <laughs> Just the whole thing. You want to hear the list? So, I'll just name them, and some of them won't mean anything to you at all at this point, and that's fine. Um, I'm probably going to go through it too fast to write it down at this point. <laughs> well, you can try. It depends how fast you write. So, we can have a race. Um, okay, so. Um, not in any order. This is the important thing. This is a, again, a mutually, this is the thing about dependent arising. There's not like cause and effect. There's the mutual arising and the mutual fading of, of things. So, 28 items, as I said, some of them, <laughs> some of them, uh, it's not exhaustive as well. So there's the, some of them are kind of imply each other, imply another one, or kind of overlap and involve each other. And some of them kind of seem like, well, they're kind of opposite. Okay. So anyway, the first one is, is the, the lattice or the constellation itself. In other words, the first thing about the imaginal constellation is that it is a constellation and the recognition of that. And the implication of that is that a thing is not an image by itself. Nothing is anything by itself, actually, in any, in any perception or anything. So, the, when we say imaginal, we're not talking about just a kind of object. Here's, um, you know, uh, some mythic-looking creature. Uh, what are they called? Griffins? What's a griffin? <laughs> um, it doesn't mean it's imaginal. It's, it's in the relationship. It's in the whole constellation. So the first thing is, an image is as much about my way of looking, my way of conceiving, my way of relating, as it is about the, the objective pole. So some of these, some of these elements are more subjective, and some are more objective. In other words, they in here they they seem to 
characterize more the subject of poem, and some seem to characterize more the object. In the sense of the image is the object, and the subject is me as practitioner. Okay, the first one is the very fact of the, uh, of, of the constellation itself. Second, not in any particular order, um, is the energy body, the involvement and the awareness and the sensitivity to the whole energy body. So that's an example of a subjective one. Yeah? It's here. Um, I'll, I'll come back. I'm just listening now and I'll come back to some of them. Uh, third one I've actually also already mentioned, love and being loved. Love, uh, the flow, the two-way flow of love is inherent in, in the imaginal. Uh, number four, eros, uh, which includes love but is more than love, as Catherine pointed out. Fifth is beauty, something that touches uh, us with a sense of beauty in this image. And again, it might not be beauty in the sense that I typically think of what is beautiful, but somehow the soul finds in this in, in whatever this is, a sense of beauty. Uh, the, the, the seventh is, is that, um, uh, ah. <laughs> it's all different down here. Um, <laughs> all right, all right. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll try to do it in the, in the, um, Okay. The sixth is trust. Okay. And there's, uh, I'll come back to this this morning, hopefully, if I, if I get some time. I'll come back to that one. Trust. Trust is an element. Um, and again, in a way, that would be a two-way thing. I somehow trust this image. I also, tr- I also trust the whole process. The whole process of what we're doing here. That's a level of, of trust. And also, I trust this image. It may look violent, it may look like pathologically disturbed, it may look really weird or crazy, um, but somehow trust is an element of it. I'm, I'm talking now about trust, so I might as well. Um, so, uh, and in fact, we talked about it earlier with this doubt thing, like not to buy into it. Trust is, again, if, when there is no trust, the, the imaginal will not open up, as it goes for all, all these. It won't open up fully. It will just stay as an image, a bit, bit more flat. Um, but if I can introduce some trust, just a grain of trust, this thing is not what I'm used to, this thing looks like it's defilement, this thing, what, whatever it is, if I can introduce that, then that trust, again, in the dependent arising of things, it's like I put a grain of some kind of alchemical uh, elixir in, just, a, just some trust. And that does something, as always does. It opens things out. Without the trust, it won't open out. Now, of course, human relationships are like that as well, aren't they? Um, but, but basically, dealing with images is a lot like just you're in relationship. One way of saying what we're saying this morning is the whole thing is relational. We're talking about relationship in lots of different ways. Um, so sometimes this is hard, the trust thing. It's not like, oh, this is really easy for lots of different reasons. Um, but as I think I said it in, in the Q&A last night, last uh, afternoon, um, you can sometimes just put put a ring fence around it. Five minutes, I'm going to play with some trust. I sprinkle that. Uh, you don't really sprinkle Alexia, do you? you? Pour a grain of sand of trust, whatever it is. At five minutes, I ring fence it, and afterwards, thank you very much, that was my little experiment in trust, and I, I can go back to holding it arm's length or being slightly suspicious. So don't push yourself. If But but you'll probably notice something, as I said, that in that five minutes, the trust has a certain has a, an effect. It has to have an effect, because the whole thing is dependent arising relational. Yeah? Um, okie dokie. So seven is um, an imaginal image, in our sense, is soul-making. In other words, there is a sense of soulfulness. Because it's partly circular implied in all this, all the beauty and the love and the depth and all that. Uh, and soul-making means that the eros-psyche-logos dynamic, what Catherine referred to the other night, that is, is active. It's kicking in. All, all these things are opening each other and, and creating more complexity and, and beauty and all that. And, and soulfulness is more than heartfulness. It includes heartfulness, but it's more than heartfulness. Uh, number eight is a sense of dimensionality. This is not easy to put into words or even sometimes pinpoint sometimes. Um, but that dimensionality, 
It's as if this thing is not flat. It has the vague sense of other dimensions to it. And these dimensions kind of move forward into divinity. Uh, or rather they, 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 they uh, recede into divinity. The divinity is implicit in, in this work, is in this direction of dimensionality. Um, connected with that is number nine. Images have a sense of something beyond beyond just the surface there's a beyond that i don't quite understand yet in fact they they're they have a sense of unfathomability to them i can't quite get to the bottom of them just as actually a human being does just as you do when i don't feel my own unfathomability i don't feel very well does something not does not right maybe some people are kind of stuck in that uh, you know it would be difficult you think, contemplate another human being, there's a sense of their unfathomability. An image is like this, unfathomable, in lots of ways. Uh, okay, number... Really want to go through the whole list? All right. Okay, number 10 is uh, related to this, that um, the boundaries are elastic. This is actually soft and elastic. This is really important because oftentimes what happens with perceptions, uh, or, or we relate to an image with a certain idea, like it, it's this, and it just has kind of rigid edges. And again, like a human being, uh, you think about your, your sense of self and, or, or you bring to mind someone you love. Where are their, ed- where are their edges? Their, their edges are soft. You can't, quite find where they are and they're elastic they move they expand i'm talking about the edges of being the edges of who a person is what an image is is soft and elastic and also the concepts that we use in this whole paradigm are also soft and elastic they're precise but they're also soft and elastic and that's very important okie doke so number Eleven is um, an image has a quality of eternality to it, of timelessness. Catherine used the phrase, it's always already happening. So it's not so much a narrative, like I go on a journey and first this and then I slay the dragon and then I rescue the princess and then we get married and whatever. Um, uh, it's not so characteristic of the imaginal. It's something... Or if that narrative, that narrative, that whole narrative is somehow always happening at the same time. So there's some or other sense of timelessness, eternality to, to, to the imaginal. Um, number 12, and, and again, you can see how all these kind of implicate each other or invite each other, um, is reverence. In the face of eternality of timelessness, a, uh, a, uh, uh, a natural, if if we allow it, if we don't get in the way, a natural response of the soul is reverence. Uh, number 13, I've already touched on it, is somewhere or other, is a sense of grace. There's a sense in which, with all the art that I can, and finesse and subtlety of altering my responses or changing my attitudes or the emphasis of energy body and all this um, and the art of what I can be uh, how I can be active in relation to an image there's also a very real um, uh, fact or necessity to realize that an image is a grace it's it's somehow given to us inexplicably from beyond we don't control this thing yeah Uh, number 14, again, you can see how connected these are, is humility. This is really important. You know, I, in relation to this uh, image, as somehow, I'm not regarding it as just, it's mine, like a little puppet I can do what I want with, or I can uh, control it, or it's part of me. It's somehow bigger, and I am in the presence of something um, beyond, bigger than me, or in, in some way I don't understand it, in some way divine, and therefore humility is, again, a very natural response if it's not blocked in us 
for different reasons. Uh, number 15 is um, we're not reducing this image means this. This image is referring to this that happened in my childhood or this image means this for my guidance exactly and only. Uh, it doesn't only mean anything. You cannot fully capture an image or, or the implications of it or reduce it to something. It's not, it's not um, reducible to anything at all. It has this beyondness to it. Um, 16 is autonomy. Uh, the image is, again, it's not part of me. I don't own this image. It's like a person. There, it's a, it has, oftentimes it has a personhood and they have their autonomy. They do things, images do things or say things or that, that, uh, will surprise you. They're not in your control. Now, in a way, they are in your control and you're creating them and it's a dependent rising, etc. So there's, this is part of the art. I realize that in a way I, I grant an image its autonomy or the idea of its autonomy through my concept, my implicit concept at that time. You understand? So there's a dance here of, yes, it's autonomous and it's dependent rising. Yeah. There's very kind of sophisticated sort of balance there in the art of it. Uh, 17, uh, and again, oh, and, and with the autonomy, I'm kind of explaining them all now, aren't I? It's not Yeah, all right. Um, <laughs> you don't ever lose your, this is another part of the autonomy, you don't ever lose your autonomy. You don't lose your self-will. You're not going to be taken over and possessed by something so that you lose the ability to make, you know, heartful, rational, sensible choices. You have your autonomy. You need to assent. You need to participate. So there's autonomy on both sides. Um and I think Catherine already alluded to this. There's two-ness. So it's not so much about dissolving in oneness. There's, for soul-making, we retain a two-ness. Eros wants to retain two-ness. It wants to retain two. It needs that polarity between, maybe between me and, and the image. That two-ness is necessary. Yeah. Um, well, let's say differentiations and particularities, they don't all dissolve. Maybe that's another way of saying it. Yeah. Um, 18, I will um, come back to, it's theater. Or what I might call the middle way of the imaginal. Neither real nor not real. It's really important. Yeah, we, we get that sense. Oh yeah, someone asks you, would you say that's real? Not quite. Would you say it's not real? Not quite. It's somewhere in between. I'll expand on that in a minute, hopefully. Um, uh, number 19 and related is, we realize that this image is created by us, we might say, but also discovered the discover means it's already there. We create it and we discover it. And there's not really a word in, in English, at least, for, for getting that combination, that it's both created and discovered, or neither, or somewhere in between. Uh, number 20 is w w what we call the concertina, which means that when I'm relating to an image, I'm not shrinking it down to this is... There's always a sense implicitly of other possible images. They might not be at all clear, but vaguely, it's like, this is just one image of many possibilities. So it's not like, this is the reality. This is one, there's a sense of, there's more theater possible. And this is just, this is just the, what's happening in the play right now. But it could be different. Yeah? Um, 21 is, um, the imaginal sense is slightly less fabricated. I'm not even going to say anything about that right now. Um, 22 is 
that concept is involved, even if it's implicit, a logos, some kind of idea, as Catherine was saying, some idea of what, what my suffering is or something about suffering, some idea of anything at all. Ideas are actually implicit or explicit in the imaginal sense. They're not talking about a non-conceptual experience at all. Uh, number 23 is fullness of intention, which I've mentioned already and I'll come back to shortly. And that's a, that's a very beautiful one. Uh, fullness of intention. Yeah, fullness of intention. Um, and 24 is duty, not beauty, duty. Um, and that's again quite complicated. We'll come back to it. There's some sense of, I, I have a duty to this. I have a duty to this image. It's often not, uh, so literal. Okay. So it gets refracted into our life and into the way we live or some attitude or something, uh, what this duty is or, or what's involved in that. Um, 25 is, um, an image is meaningful, which means it's full of meanings and full of meanings that we can't even quite know what they are. So yes, they might have specific meanings. I can relate this to my, um, I mean, clearly that old king, you know, thing that I, I shared the other day is clearly, you know, it was very related to my situation, etc. Um, but it, it's more, there's more, there's meaningfulness, which is different than meaning. It means this, or even it means these three things or whatever it is. Um, it's pregnant with a kind of, um, infinity of meaning. Um, the 26th is, um, I just mentioned this now without even explaining. There's a, there's a kind of infinite echoing or mirroring between your life and an imaginal image. They, they echo each other infinitely. They mirror each other infinitely. Uh, 27 is that, um, Implicit in images are values, uh, virtues or ethical, moral values. That's, that's, um, so uh, it's part of the meaningfulness. What, what's meaningful is it, 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 uh, wrapped up in an image. It's something of a value that we find noble or beautiful or, or etc. or important in life. And the 28th is participation. There's a sense of participating in something, and we may fill that out. That's quite a complex one, or quite a rich, profound one. Uh, we're participating in something uh, much bigger than us. <coughs> no. <laughs> Say again. Yeah. So, um, I, I, just now I put that as a sort of implicit in the dimensionality. So that, um, again, we could slice all this up. We could come up with a list of 40 or 10 or, you, you know, um, so, but yeah, ho- ho- sacredness, absolutely implicit, divinity, holiness, some, something like that. And again, that has a very broad range of meaning, really broad. You know, someone's used to thinking of divinity this way or that way. Yeah. All right, so um, okay, well, that was the list. Um, <laughs> let's just reorganize here. Um, let's just say a few more things. I have a few more minutes. So I want to expand. Uh, so f- f- one of them I talked about. I can't remember what number it was. Was it eighteen? The middle way of the imaginal, and. Um, the, the, when, I, when I first sort of thought about this phrase, there's, there's a sense of theatre. And like theatre, you know, if, if you see really good theatre, um, I don't know if you sat, like, like I have lots of friends who, who are very involved in theatre, and I would go, some theatres are really small. You're sitting right there with the actor, and it's, it's really intimate. Like, you feel kind of naked there. And, um, and you know it's not real, 
But like all really good art, it, its power is uh, in, potentially immense. So there's something about this with image. It's not real. It's not not real. It's got this artistic or poetic truth to it and all the power that comes potentially with poetic or artistic truth. But this is a tricky one. This neither real nor not real, uh, this, this, this element. Um, I'm really not going to get into this now, but, um, ontology is, uh, ontology is the fancy word for, um, kind of thinking about what is real and what isn't real. Yeah. Um, so the ontology here I think is really interesting. Um, and I would like to view it more as an open-ended, uh, exploration questioning of pos- possible conceptions of reality and not reality. And that fine distinction of, um, kind of right there in the middle or, or, or whatever emptiness and all this, which also very much addresses the question of ontology. Um, so it's complex. It's infinitely rich. Humanity will never figure it out uh, as a final answer. As there's a whole history of it. It will continue as long as humanity is around, this whole philosophical endeavor. And it's variable. It's part of what can be variable in, in what we bring to the imaginary, my whole concept of the reality status of things. Um, but what I would like to say is there's something about this paradigm that we're trying to unfold and open up that it will... It will, if, if we don't start with this imaginal middle way, neither real nor not real, as, as much as we can, much with just holding that in mind, even we can't quite get a sense of it, it's as if the whole thing gets off on the wrong foot a little bit. If we can start there, it will be that the whole thing starts to, or can, draw in, or expand the range of our notion of reality and bring in, um, other, uh, yeah, other things that we would have considered not real. It can expand the range there. But there's something about, I think, starting with this middle way intention, as much as one is possible. I know this is a really difficult one for people. But just as much as you can, it's almost like, then let things unfold from there. If I start with some reality assumptions, it probably won't get so loosened, um, the whole thing. And and again, actually, the range of experience and beauty and soulfulness that will open up will be less. I don't know, did that make any sense at all? Yeah? Okay. Um, now, to complicate things even further, um, I want to expand what that means, what we mean by the, the middle way of the imaginal. Middle way relates to Kachayana Sutta that, that uh, Catherine... Uh, so you've heard this middle way. Um, uh, usually in, in Dharma, we hear middle way is the middle way between asceticism and sensual indulgence, right? There's one instance in the Pali Canon where it gets used in a different way, which Catherine uh, talked about in the Kachayana Sutta. The middle way is the middle way between reifying something exists, anything exists, and saying it doesn't exist. The middle way is neither. It's this. It's, it's referring to emptiness. Um, uh, about a half of um, the the whole Mahayana tradition bases itself on those two lines of interaction in the Pali Canon of the Buddha with Kachayana. The whole elaboration, the beauty and the richness and depth and complexity and finickitiness of their of their uh, investigation of emptiness bases itself on those two lines. So that's the second meaning that the Buddha uses for this middle way. And now we've got a third one, which is this imaginal, neither real nor not real, which now I would like to expand even further. And includes, so there's this neither real nor not real, this kind of theater quality with all the power that that has as well. And I'd like to add two things, which in a way we've already implicitly talked about. Implicit in the middle way, they're not so much static points as something about balances of range. One is the balance of range of the energy body sense of density or insubstantiality. In other words, sometimes a person only ever um, has a very sort of ethereal sense of the energy body. And perhaps in the middle way, it's, it, of, of the imaginal, it's referring to just, in the whole, in the whole context of practice, a person has the whole range. In other words, sometimes it's dense and solid, and sometimes it's very ethereal. And one's free to move in that whole range. Yeah? Did that land okay? Did you get that? Hello? 
<laughs> okay. Third aspect, so you've got neither real nor not real, you've got this um, possible balance and range of the energy body, and you've got dukkha. Meaning, um, again, it's not so much a static point as, am I open to a range of the imaginal? Some just luminously glorious and um, free, and some, as some of the examples both Catherine and I have given, actually involve dukkha, pathology. The lame man is a, is a divinity with a pathology. Hillman really emphasized, says all images have to have pathologies. I, I would disagree with that. Can we just open up the range? And so, um, it's not always um, as I said, triumphant or radiant or glorious, sometimes there are images that do involve dukkha, but the dukkha has a divinity and a beauty. So, you know, I've uh, shared many, uh, and Catherine as well, these images, um, even images of, you know, that you've maybe heard in other, other talks, other retreats, the lonely wanderer or the soldier, um, images of old lonely men or whatever it is, um, plenty of examples where the dukkha is part of the image. Um, I could give more, but I'm conscious of time. Um, even when something, you know, or, or something might appear that's very angelic, for instance, I've shared several times now when I was, um, upstairs writing a book on emptiness, um, and for different reasons that was difficult. And then at some point these angels came and they, and they, 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 uh, Kissed, kissed my heart and, and minister to me and, and love me for, for doing that. So uh, angelic and luminous and light and all that. But it didn't, it, it was in relationship with the dukkha. It wasn't like, hi, yippee, that's all fine now. It dissolves everything. The dukkha remains part of the image and part of actually the beauty of it and, and the humanity of it and the divinity of it. So, having said all that about range, and, and just checking, what's my tendency here? Is it always ethereal and always without any dukkha in it? Or is it always dukkha and, uh, and, and a kind of solid? Just checking what the range. And having said all that, there are different, there are individual soul styles. You know, some people, the energy body experience does tend to just be more commonly more ethereal or not. And some people have a kind of, uh, I use the word darkness to them, which, which I have, you know, it's like, yes, there tends to be, um, images that involve more pathology or, or dukkha, etc. So there's a kind of individual soul style thing that we have to kind of respect and take into account rather than everyone needs to be kind of perfectly balanced around some midpoint in their range. And it's also the case, of course, that the images that arise in this infinite echoing, they reflect my life. So if I'm going through something that's really, uh, you know, when it's talking about writing the book or whatever, well, of course the image, some of the images reflected my life. And so if that's going through something challenging or difficult, that will be involved in the image, yeah? Okay, so that's expanding uh, the, the, the idea of the middle way of the imaginal. Um, one other I want to pick out for now is this fullness of intention. I, I, threw, I threw some things out about this already. Um, even when we have an intention for healing, a lot of people come to Dharma for healing in the broader sense, in, in, well, in, in a quite broad sense of the word, let's put it that way. Psychological healing, healing of the past, etc. Healing of, of Dukkha. Even the intention for the healing uh, of for, for healing it, it may it may be something less than the fullness of intention most people come to the Dharma for some kind of healing and we're saying even that is not quite the full reach of possibility here for the intention what if fullness of intention means including that but also, for soul-making, the intention for soul, the intention for serving soul. And we might not even fully understand what that means. So this is a tricky one. This is not, it's not actually very, perhaps common to really, to really fill that out, but I feel that out, but I'm, I'm mentioning it as, as an important possibility. 
going back to what I said earlier, you know, there are times in life when we need to seek guidance or listen for guidance, for practical guidance about choices or difficulties or whatever. And sometimes, as I said, an image will give guidance. It will say, stay, stay with what you're doing. You're doing good. This is good. Invest in that. Or do this or, or whatever. Sometimes that happens in different ways. Um, but more often, I think, again, the, is it possible for the predominant intention to be for soul-making and not for guidance? And the fullness, the open-endedness, the sacredness, the partly incomprehensible nature of soul-making, of eros, of beauty. You can never fully understand beauty either. Human beings will never get to the bottom of beauty. Or, or eros, or a lot of these things. They're fathomless. And, and somehow my, my ascent and opening and, and intention for the fathomlessness of all that, this is more full as an, as an intention. Um, and I think that's, yes, it was, I think Lauren's question in the, in the, um, Q&A. Sometimes, and I've mentioned it this morning as well, sometimes you can just play with a kind of inversion of concept. This image is bigger than me. It's greater than me. I am derivative of this image. Turn everything upside down. So, just to wrap up, um, you can hear, I think it's obvious, um, there's a kind of uh, maturing that's possible over time with all this, with understanding what on earth is this all about, understanding in practice, you know, it, it's, it's definitely available, the possibility of maturing in understanding and in practice, understanding in relation to these elements and practicing with these different elements. And that takes time. It takes time. And that's really okay. So just to realize that, when I first started um, exploring some of this stuff and trying to work with it in practice and figure out how to do that. If I think back in some of my old notebooks, you know, the images there were much more narrative and much more complex. Uh, casts of thousands and, you know, characters and all kinds of stuff going on. And, and it seems now as I, as I do, there's something kind of distilled in it. So an image, some, there's not a lot happening, but has this eternal quality and something kind of, um, uh, condensed kind of in it and and but my sensitivity is much greater and my kind of intuitive sense of attunement and uh and, and skill etc or when we talk when we introduced the movement yesterday you know, there's a there's a real possible a possibility of gradual m- m- maturing and growing in in the possibilities of movement in relation to soul yeah um, or the logos, Catherine was talking about the conceptual framework. Yeah, it takes time. This, what, just, even just conceptually, what we're talking about is, it's sophisticated. It's not like a simple thing, you know. And that takes time. There's lots of shades to it. And, and at some point, uh, as Catherine was sharing, it's like something turns on and there's eros for logos. We get like excited about it. It happened on, on the, the other retreat and it was just, someone was listening to an interaction in the Q&A and just right then all something happened in her relationship with concept and it just it became illuminated and now she's you know it's there's ero, there's added eros and added there's soul in concept now for her you know so all this takes time it's about this business about the middle way and not reifying and neither it, uh, the fullness of intention these things are full and rich and subtle and and they take time to grow and grow into so just just know that and, and just to say, um, teaching for me is always contextual and always responsive. So, um, especially if I'm on one-to-one, it's diff- I find teaching groups kind of an impossibility, to be honest. Um, you're, you're all so different and have different inclinations and histories and all, all the rest of it. If I'm one-on-one with a person, it's different. So I might say to someone, in regard to say, the, the neither real nor not real thing, you're not really, you're not really a dragon. <laughs> Do you realize? <laughs> or, same person at a different time, or another person. Do you realize you're more really a dragon? You're more really that dragon with that dragon's mission than you are a human being in, in the way that you usually think of that and your story and all that. 
So for me, it's very, this is part of the, the dance of the middle way. Um, what would be wonderful and what, what I would like to encourage and invite you to is, um, can you begin to explore and begin to feel, to notice, to live the effects of subtle shifts of emphasis or subtle shifts of view um, or the conceptual frame. So, for example, what happens if I can shift with that real, not real thing? Just micro shift and actually see, wow, that's quite a different texture and flavor and sense of experience that opens up. You have to feel this, notice it, live it, be impacted on it. For I, We could talk all day long about real and not real and all that. There's something... If you if you attracted to and you begin to play with this, you will see. Wow, it really does make a difference in the dependent arising of things, or this fullness of intention. Things. What happens when that opens up to another uh, another fullness? Oh, that also changes the whole image. All this is dependent arising. So experiment, play, find out, know for yourself. Know it. You know it in the body. You know it in the in in the kind of beauty and uh, richness of the experience. Oftentimes, without even really adopting a conscious position, we, we take one one position and we're kind of attached to it and there isn't this kind of flexibility or skill or willingness to kind of experiment and see what's the difference. I just decide this is, it's not even conscious usually, this is how I look at things, this is how I look at this. And uh, we don't realize, but actually it's a kind of attachment to one view or one emphasis. Or, or, or other. So with all that, um, it's really okay. Wherever any of us are with all this, it's a journey. It's a something, you, we're journeying in this most wondrous, rich, um, truly amazing landscape. And uh, it's okay, wherever we are in that journey, um, gradually it can get we can uh, explore that territory, it can become more full, and we can understand, make it our own. Yeah? Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.